Do you want to do an intro too? Yeah. Um, yeah, let's do it. Hi everyone, welcome back to The News Never Ends. I'm Dan Ackerman. I'm Peter Ron. All done! just going to be a show about pet beefs with Colin now. <laughs> but I was on the phone with Colin and I, I was like, because I was pretty sick this weekend and I was saying, you know, oh, I got this bad cold, I think. And he was like, oh, your annual November to February cold. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> oh wow, called out. <laughs> so you know Val's wax ball now thing, right? Yes. Okay. So I was at immigration court this morning just checking it out, just scoping it out for the DSA, for ongoing investigations, whatever. And I'm meeting my girl Sarah there. Uh, she's running a little late. And so I get to 525 West Van Buren, where the immigration court's supposed to be, according to the website. And I walk in and, uh, you know, I've got uh, I've got my Wax Paul Now hat on. I've got my scarf and my whole winter outfit. And I'm looking for the suite number on the board. And the person at the desk goes, sir, can I help you? And I go, no, I'm waiting for someone. Thank you. And I walk over and I take my hat off and I put it in my jacket pocket. And I sit down by some bad art in the lobby and I wait for Sarah to show up. And in about 30 seconds, this guy in plain clothes comes over to me and he goes, uh, sir, I hear you're waiting for someone. I go, yeah. And he goes, who are you waiting for? And you go, you know, my friend Sarah, we're going to scope out immigration court, tell him what's up. And um, he goes, uh, I'm with Secret Service. And I go, okay. <laughs> and he was like, uh, what does your hat mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I tell him it's for you know, a online campaign to get Paul Giamatti a wax sculpture at Madame Tussauds, Wax Paul Now. Hashtag wax ball now. It's a, it says hashtag wax ball now in white on black on this hat that I have. And he goes, <laughs> oh, well, you know, because I already told him I'm going to immigration court. And he goes, uh, well, I just wanted to make sure because we've got a lot of government offices here. I thought it might have meant Paul Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, what do you think wax meant? Like, is that rub off yeah. here? You know, I don't know if it's the like white on black with a hashtag. You know, he thought it was a movement. Yeah, but well, it is a movement. Over. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, it's he should be worried. It's taking over. But yeah, he was like, "Have you ever interacted with Secret Service before?" I was like, "No." He was like, "Well, you should know. You know that that flag will that that hat will definitely flag you as of interest to Secret Service." That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's like I'm trying to remember who it was during um, the Red Scare during the House on American Activities committee like mccarthy mm. era uh not during anacatchee i'm talking no, about no no <laughs> not anacatchee <laughs> there was some playwright who was being like investigated by huac basically mm -hmm. and uh, uh i wish i could remember who it was but they some smart ass yeah they were contacted right some commie they were contacted <laughs> by huac because they wanted to know this person that they had cited in some essay that they wrote yeah christopher marlowe <laughs> they were like is christopher like, marlowe ever yeah. been a member of the communist right. party they were like you make repeated references to this figure christopher marlowe like <laughs> who is uh is like is that a communist right and uh no it's the 
16th century. Yeah, it's the guy who actually wrote all of Shakespeare's plays. Yeah, right. It's the real Shakespeare. (laughs) Yeah, like, come on. You're investigating uh, DSA, but you don't know about the Wax Paul Now movement? It's like, do your homework. Right, that's like that. I don't know if it's a apocryphal story or what, but there's that story about the undercover cops trying to expose a homosexual ring in, you know, the early 60s or something. And uh, they're asking everybody who Dorothy is. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what I want to talk about? Yeah. Hit, it, hit me with it. The competing fire festival documentary. Oh, yeah. So, film me. This is one I haven't followed okay. so much. I'm waiting to just sit down with a big old cheese sandwich and... Uh, <laughs> Just isolate myself. Um, and I watched the fire festival. I watched the fire fraud episode, uh, Hulu documentary. So there's a Hulu documentary. Where's the other one? So for a while, Netflix has been, you know, previewing their fire festival documentary. Okay. All these models, like in the Bahamas, the most insane festival the world has ever seen. Island getaway turned disaster. It became very barbaric. Right now, we are the fucking laughing stock of everything. Just wait until you see what you're getting yourselves into. If you don't remember what Fire Festival was, <laughs> then you shouldn't be listening yeah, to this podcast. Seriously. <laughs> um, Fire Festival was this music festival that was getting promoted. Uh, that was going to be in the Bahamas, I believe, when? In 2017. Yeah, like some Caribbean paradise. I think 2017. Yeah. And then it was the biggest internet thing ever because all of these people who had bought tickets showed up and there was just nothing there. There yeah. was no music festival. It was... <laughs> It was a scam. So Netflix for a while has been promoting that they have this fire festival documentary coming up. I believe it is going to be released on Friday or okay. sometime this weekend. Okay. But then this week, Hulu came in. They scooped them. Dropped. Mm. I don't think there was any advance warning. They dropped just to edge out Netflix. Uh. Their fire festival documentary, Fire Fraud. Okay. This tapped into all the biggest millennial trends. I mean, everyone's supposed to be here, like Bella Hadid. Kendall Jenner. And their documentary has Billy McFarland, who was the guy. You're right. He that was the head the scammer. Festival. Yeah, it was like Billy McFarland and Ja Rule. And ja Rule. Were the, so is Ja Rule associated with the other documentary? Or, uh, you know? Well, so the other documentary, and they talk about this in the, the Hulu documentary, talks a little bit about the Netflix documentary. Oh, fascinating. Because the, camera the Netflix the camera. documentary is promoted, or like one of the producers on it was somebody who was involved in the Fire Festival. Oh. Oh my god. It's, do you rem, do you know Fuck Jerry? No. Jerry Media? No. It's like a dumb like social media. Fuck Jerry was like some like meme factory on like Instagram. Okay. And they got hired to promote Fire Festival and one of the employees of Jerry Media that was specifically like in charge of promoting Fire Festival was uh, one of the talking heads in the Hulu documentary. Okay. But then what they said at the end, and like Jerry Media like released a statement that was like, this is a disgruntled employee or whatever. And like, you know, we were, we were duped as well by the fire festival. But his point is basically like they knew or they, they, they knew perfectly well, like what was going on and they, they just didn't care and they were like profiting off of it. Yeah. But then Jerry Media or the people who run it are producers on the Netflix fire festival so they're getting their angle in oh that's awesome but then netflix shot back and was like no the difference is 
Hulu paid Billy McFarlane to appear in the documentary and we wouldn't, which is why he's not in ours. Gotcha. And then they showed these emails where Billy McFarland was emailing Netflix saying, don't you want to pay me to be in your documentary? Hulu's offering me $250,000. Whoa. Can you top it? And has Hulu released a statement? Have they said we paid him or we didn't? Hulu said they paid him, but not $250,000 or like not a, less than $100,000 or okay. something. Cause he was, and he's a con artist. Right, of course. So yeah. yeah. No, that's why I thought right. it might've been a total loss. Yeah. So yeah. I think they did pay him, which I... I don't really know the ethics of making documentaries, but apparently that's not that uncommon. Yeah, I don't think that's yeah. a huge, huge deal. Um, and he definitely was not portrayed sympathetically. And I mean, so he's a talking head, so they're asking him and they're like, you know, asking him about like lies that he clearly made yeah. and about like his, le- like the fact that he's uh, been indicted and stuff and is yeah. in jail now. Yeah. Um, to his credit, he is a fucking legend, man. He's amazing. <laughs> I mean, he's a fascinating person. Yeah. Because he's I, I, he's a con artist. Yeah. He's, uh, he's like an archetypical. He's been doing it his whole life. He had other scams before Fire Festival. Mm-hmm. It's and, and I guess that's part of the question. How much is he actually, how much does, how much is he aware that he is conning people? Mm-hmm. Because he, he's breaking laws. He's stealing from people. He's like mischaracterizing things. Like that's what he's getting indicted for now is right. fraud basically. Yeah. But it also didn't work. Like, it wasn't a successful con. Right. So to what extent was he deluding himself? Yeah. And none of his cons have worked long term. He had one before that was, like, Magnesis. That was... It's He's amazing. I mean, it's <laughs> worth watching the Hulu documentary. Okay. It was pretty good. There was a little... Gia Tolentino was a talking head in it. Oh, I saw she uh, yeah. uh, tweeted something. In the millennial era, scamming is... The air we breathe. There is essentially a fire festival going on every day in the West Wing. It's basically the fire festival of budgets. One of the safest ways of making money in America is to get really good at exploiting people and to treat everyone like a mark. You've got Anna Delvey, the so-called Soho grifter, and Elizabeth Holmes, the CEO and founder of Theranos. And then you have Billy McFarlane. And all three of them coasted for a really long time. And there was like a little too much about that's millennial like, yeah, millennials and it's and like aspiration. You know, the thing you need to know about millennials is when they see their favorite Instagram influencer gramming about a music festival, they are just powerless to right. stop that. Yeah. It, it shuts off a part of their brain that only millennials <laughs> have. Uh, and they're just powerless to uh, to not give that person all of their uh, uh, jewel money. Right, yeah. You're living in your parents' basement, and you pull out your phone, which you look at a hundred times an hour. The actual experience exceeds all expectations. You see a music festival that exceeds all expectations on a deserted island owned by Pablo Escobar. There was music, private planes, and beautiful women swimming on an island with drugs. Man, that's about as sexy as it gets. And then you see these wonderful, beautiful people in places that you're not doing things that you can't afford to do. It really didn't matter that these guys may be waifs, trustafarians, and this guy posting this party was an obvious fraud because many of these influencers are people that you follow, that you aspire to be, and also this rapper music that you listen to. So when an opportunity presents itself to get out of your parents' basement and go be part of something that's culturally relevant, you're gonna absolutely jump at that.
But so Magnesis was <laughs> this. I mean, it was like a credit card scam, basically. But up until Fire Festival, he was basically just uh, scamming billionaires into giving him uh, like VC VC money. money, yeah, that he then like burned through, right, uh, without any plan. Which again, the people who do that, it's often an open question: Did they think this was going to work out, or were they scamming right. the whole time? And kind of unclear. I yeah. mean, he, he's an idiot, right? He's an idiot, and he's a compulsive liar. But that doesn't make him different from like most people who are <laughs> yeah, starting. most entrepreneurs, yeah, most yeah. entrepreneurs. So. It's it. I think that remains a little unclear. How much is it him being like stupid and uh, uh, disconnected from reality, and how much is him being a con man? But he right. clearly is a con man. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and, definitely that line from him, the famous "Let's just do it and be fucking legends, man." K- yeah. Kind of uh, <laughs> goes with the story of his having this ambition that they really could pull it off. And just being totally unqualified to pull it off and it just be – and I remember yeah. reading a little bit about it at the time and there was this stuff about the employees who were told like, don't worry, like it looks bad but we're going to make it happen. Like we're pulling all the stops out. And after everything happened and it was a complete disaster, they wanted to do one next year. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we learned our lessons, you know, a lot of good data we yeah. got. Uh, we're going to make it happen. Yeah, and it was – I mean from what I remember, his initial reaction was like – Great, we got a lot of attention. Like now we're famous. Yeah. People are going to want to go to Fire Festival 2.0. And there, and it also Fire Festival was all about promoting this app, really? Fire the Fire app that was about making celebrities do like appearances at your birthday party, basically. Okay. But also the the main person that was giving him VC money was this oil billionaire that, you know, was an heir to like a huge company that he inherited. That's awesome. Uh, that then in turn was a, was a huge fraudster and ended up getting discovered, you know, at some point. Huh. So yeah, fascinating levels of levels of uh, of of people committing fraud. That's awesome. Um, and then they kind of make the point that's like, <laughs> you know, they'll have like Gia Tolentino being like, yeah, you know, we live in a world where uh, just the economy's failing, and and we all these millennials have no hope for anything, and then just everybody is like a con man today, and everyone's just using social capital to try to scam people, and then you mm-hmm. know, flash to like a photo of like tr- uh, you know, video of Trump giving like a a speech. Sure. All of these things zooming straight at all of our brains, landing straight in all of our Twitter feeds. But they do kind of make the point that we're in this grand age of con men. Yes. With like Trump and Anna Delvey. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Summer scammer never ended. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's something to that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think America is a scam nation. Yeah, right. Like, you know, snake oil salesmen, it's always been a part of American DNA and all the American big business. Just Manifest Destiny is the original scam, right? right? Like, come out to this land that's going to be full of milk and honey. But I definitely, yeah, this seems like the most American century, and uh, it seems like the scammiest one of all. Right, just like Trump is the most American president. Exactly, yeah. Um, As evidenced this week. When with he the had with the, with the hamburger party, <laughs> the pizza party. <laughs> I don't know how much we want to talk about this. My, I think my take on this the is... The whatever. Yeah, the yeah. hamburger. Not at all. I, I think about the that point that I want to make, though, is that all the people on uh, Twitter who are like, look, this is a distraction and we're... 
We're getting distracted. Like, yes, it's funny that he had a McDonald's party for the Clemson team or whatever. Uh, but you're getting distracted, right? Real stuff is going on. Uh, those people are wrong. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. those people are just don't get it. No, this is the soul yeah. of the country right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and, yeah, that photo where <laughs> he's... <laughs> behind the he's in front of the portrait of Lincoln and there's just all this like pizza and Wendy's on the table he's just giving a big thumbs up and what I hope people have noticed about that photo have you noticed it Dan? I don't know I don't he think so. is wearing an overcoat in yes, that photo not is. a bli- like not a jacket that's right yeah he Here's looks like the, the penguin photo. yeah yeah why is he wearing a why is he wearing an overcoat uh, uh, maybe he's gonna grab some burgers and, and split and put them in his yeah <laughs> I mean, he's just... Yeah, just, yeah, it's a couple of his mini-clones got loose, and they're standing on top of each other, just trying to hold a hamburger so party funny. for their release. Oh, God. Yeah, no, I just... Anytime something like this happens, I just can't help reimagining that animated Anastasia movie that was czarist propaganda. Uh, <laughs> you know, the opening scene where there's, like, a beautiful, uh, you know, ballet party in the palace, and then, like, the uh, dirty Bolsheviks come in and break it up. Uh, and like all of her memories are back to this like grand time. I just imagine that like come with me, and everyone's got like a thing of fries. They're <laughs> just dipping in this bowl of ketchup. Did you see the all the Clemson football players were coming in and you know going around the table like loading up their nah, with the car. And one of them was wearing earpods. That's amazing. Earpods. <laughs> yeah, that is just uh, aeropods. Yeah. Aeropods. <laughs> Can I show you a real celebration of democracy? Yes. Real democracy in action. None of this, you know, new money, new world corruption, some real old class, common law, back to basics, democracy in practice. You got to see this. Hold on. The eyes to the right, 202. The nose to the left, 432. Two hundred and two. The nose. Oh, <laughs> The eyes to the right. Two hundred and two. The nose to the left. Four hundred and thirty-two. So the nose have it. The nose have it. Unlock. Two hundred and two. The nose. <laughs> I can't believe that hasn't been memed yet. Yeah. Yeah. As bad as America is, the United Kingdom is certainly worse. So much and worse. More fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So what's do you know what's going to happen now? Uh no one knows, you know. There's uh there's been great coverage actually of the EU higher ups reactions. The EU mandarins have their own take on this, which is basically it seems like everyone from Yunker down thought that you know, Theresa May wouldn't get this deal through, that basically they were expecting, you know, a 60-point difference in the vote, and that that would mean that, uh, not 60-point, like, percent, like, 60 votes would make the difference uh, uh, for it being voted down. Right, as opposed to, like, 200 votes. Yeah, exactly, as opposed to, like, two-thirds-plus majority against this. So, uh, 
they thought, okay, if it's a small difference, then we'll be able to make some concessions, come back to the table, uh, wrap this up before March and move people over the line. But the idea that it just has zero support, it just has this overwhelming resistance to this deal means that the, the EU people are throwing up their hands and they're going, okay, well, you figure it out or you're going to just fall out of the EU with no deal. So they're set to leave in March. There's a real chance that they might leave the EU and not have any plan. No one knows what will happen yeah. at that point. They just won't be in the EU. They'll have to renegotiate from scratch just being a country in Europe. So that's one possibility, right? You know, immediately after this vote where Theresa May put her plan for Brexit up and it got voted down monstrously, Jeremy Corbyn tabled, which over there means the opposite of what it means here, where it's put on the table instead of off the table. He tabled a motion uh, for a vote of no confidence, right? Uh, so if that happens, that could trigger a general election. And then, you know, Jeremy Corbyn might be the prime minister very quickly. And right. his government might be responsible for negotiating a new deal. Yeah, because Jeremy Corbyn doesn't support Remain. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Explicitly, he, at least. Right, yeah. He seems to – and, you know, basically and no why one, should Yeah, why should he support Yeah, him? exactly. No yeah. one at that level in British politics really supports Remain, it seems like. You know, and why should they, right? So, you know, everyone in the U.S. press, because they're just interested in, you know, rolling back the populist tide or whatever, uh, you know, getting Hillary Clinton elected in 2020, they want another referendum where people get to pick the right choice this time. They'll just keep voting yeah. until they get it right. Uh, more likely, Jeremy Corbyn gets in and he just does a different deal. And they, you know, more importantly, uh, it just crushes the Tory government and yeah. they get a chance at new la at new, new labor, whatever that looks like. Right. Yeah. I mean, what makes absolutely no sense is having another referendum. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if, if labor was firmly on remain, which they're not. They could just, you know, they should just say the election is the referendum. Yeah. And this is what we would do. Right. Yeah. That's but, their platform. But it's explicitly but that's not. Their not. Platform. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Have you seen uh, this? Somebody left this on uh, a table in a coffee shop in Washington, D.C. It's all this Amy Klobuchar campaign logo. Like, that's the... But is this... Is she taking credit for it? Or is it, like... Is it viral marketing? Or is it guerrilla campaigning? I don't know. No, I think it was really an accident. Oh! They like left these plan... campaign documents. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well... So this is someone working in, like, some marketing team for Amy Klobuchar's campaign. Oh, well, cool. I can't wait for Klobuchar to be in office and stop the wall from being built by crying on it. <laughs> Like, cool, I bet she'll be really good at crying. <laughs> Wait, why? What's the crying thing? Well, uh, the old, the first time I heard about her was in the Kavanaugh hearings where she teared up. Oh, yeah. And, you know, rang an apology out of him because he just owned because, her so bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, she's a right-wing Democrat. Yeah. Not a bad logo. Not a great, I mean, not a great logo. It. She's using Pixelated Boat. Yeah. <laughs> That's Pixelated Boat is her logo. Yeah, it kind of looks like pixelated boat sort of looks like a clan hood i mean <laughs> i know that's obviously Just not the intention. triangle with white it's on this, top yeah it's this white triangle there's like blue and red in there right there's blue and red in there which almost look like eye holes to me. <laughs> wait can i see it again like i kind of can't not see a clan hood when i look at it okay i see what you mean now yeah. now i probably will never be able to not see it, it yeah. just looks like a uh yeah, it's like like a Poland Springs something. bottle. Yeah, thing. it looks like a Poland Springs bottle. It looks extremely generic. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, I mean it's not. There's this like campaign thing where it's like triangular shape exudes strength and stability. Triangle implies That's letter so A funny. for Amy. 
pointed tip connotes progress. Rounded, I mean, you know, all like whatever. Do you know? Did Obama start that thing that everyone needs a logo that yes. is their letter? I I believe Obama's 2008 campaign was the first time ever that there was a logo for a presidential campaign. Gotcha, gotcha. I believe. Cool, cool. Yeah. Great. Uh, when are they going to get like a woke Twitter account then? <laughs> yeah, whatever. The, yeah, let's get more people in this stupid election. Yeah, I was looking at on Wikipedia the people who are going. So we're obviously all in for Gabbard, right? Oh, yeah. The yeah. Gabbard train. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. We're ready for the second phase of the Forever Wars. We want to outsource our uh, yeah. military to local dictatorships so they can handle the population. Keep doing um, surgical strikes. Well, Dan, as you know, I'm a single issue voter, and that issue is um, Hindu nationalism. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. want you want mogul rule compensated yeah. for by Hindu supremacy in, yes. uh, in the subcontinent as uh, as the gods intended. Yeah, no, uh, we're we're a Hindutva podcast yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, we, I honestly, I'm I need a president that will have the courage to say that uh, Gandhi had it coming to him. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, yeah, 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 yeah not, yeah, yeah sort of. <laughs> yeah, that is the ultimate example of someone I hate just owning someone I really hate. <laughs> yeah, it's like no, no, let him fight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have talked about this a little bit this weekend. It seems like such old news already that Gabbard's in the race. I guess this will be a bigger issue once the debates or whatever start but yeah i mean the hindu nationalist stuff this is of course me speaking i or it's my speaking you know i have so little skin in the game and really i should probably be very concerned about you know just anyone's uh islamophobic politics especially but you know the hindu nationalist thing a lot of it seems a little touchy to me a lot of the intercept article seems to be pulling up stuff like yeah she had this many hindu sounding names on her donors right i can yeah i can accept that she's the first Hindu member of Congress yeah. ever, right? And yeah, yes, I can ex- I can totally accept that a lot of th- a lot of the charges of like Hindu nationalism or being a Modi supporter are pretty unfair. And yeah. in fact, it's just because it's yeah, it's Hindu phobia. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like there is no excuse for it obviously, you know, there are plenty of political options to be interested in you know the life of hindus globally and indian politics specifically uh so you know yeah ideally every community should be anti-fascism everywhere but it seems as hard in a lot of ways to separate hindutva from hindu american politics as to separate zionism from jewish american politics and community and so i while you know neither of them really has an excuse at all I have a lot of sympathy for a community that, you know, for once has someone representing them in Congress. And I think she should be given another chance to disown that ugly part of it. And if she, you know, backs down on it, I I think she can, you know, uh, like get some kind of uh, reconciliation over that. I don't know. Like, that's just me, you know, again. But yeah. yeah, like this the stuff for me that's most worrying is not even it's not so much the Modi stuff because I think she should be given a chance to really disown that. It's not the Assad stuff because I'm an Assadist. And <laughs> are you really? Uh no, 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 no. no. But like 
<laughs> I, I do this all the time and like it's not cool because like it wouldn't be cool to call yourself a Francoist yeah a Francoista it, like yeah though I mean plenty of people in American politics do yeah yeah, yeah. I know right but like you know I generally use the Assadist term ironically because like so many people are on the Assadist left now you know people are like <laughs> oh if you are like anti-intervention in Syria then you support Assad. then you support Assad and so like yeah like some of those people do like quote unquote support Assad and I don't think it's cool that Rania Khalek says stuff like yeah the best way to fend off Turkish invasion of the Kurds is to invite the Syrian government back in there you know I think that's too bad like they may end up doing more uh, alliance there than they have in the past which is already enough um whatever like as soon as you get into the syrian war swamp there are so many alignments I, that you just like i am so out over. of my depth yeah uh, in on syria yeah, yeah but you know like uh the the assadist camp the the group that is called assadist most often by that i mean you know max blumenthal rania Falek. Aaron Mate, our friend of the show, Alex Rubenstein. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like most of their politics. I think Max Blumenthal is a big old asshole, uh, but I yeah. think he does some great reporting sometimes. And I think, you know, whoever's paying him or however he makes money, <laughs> uh, like he has uncovered a lot of interesting and important stuff. He's broken some news. And are they, I mean, is it really, they're not really Assadists, right? They're anti-interventionists. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And Rania Falek in particular, she's the big point person on yeah. the Syrian war stuff in particular and gets a lot of hate, you know, but she has been very open about how she, you know, knows that Syria is a police state. And she's like, yeah, like, I wish they weren't. And it makes things harder as a journalist when the people you want, the people who are allegedly representing the people you want to stop from being slaughtered are authoritarians and they don't trust journalists and they can only do their regime's talking points you know right. the best people to talk to about anti you know this is all rania's stuff is she says like the best people to talk to are the people who are just outside the regime who just really don't want islamic fundamentalists to overrun that country and to murder everybody who's not you know a, their type of sunni um but yeah, like she, I think she's very clear and uh, about like not being pro dictatorship and uh, about being critical of them. But she's also saying, you know, that is their country. It doesn't mean the U.S. gets to come in and just right. blow shit up. Right. And I, how could anybody honestly believe that American military power is capable of improving the situation in Syria? Yeah, obviously. And right? and the years now that we've been there, we haven't. I don't right. I don't believe we've made it better. First of all, we are the reason why ISIS uh, exists exists in the first place. Yeah, but then also we've been like uh, American weapons have been falling into the hands of ISIS. Maybe we're selling it to them. Maybe we're selling it to people that like end up uh, uh, selling it to ISIS or giving it to ISIS. Um, And yeah, it just seems like we're arming multiple factions in Syria, and. Uh, we don't really have any plan and we're not really helping at all. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, Assad is awful. He's a monster, but... Uh, there was just an article recently yeah. about how they're clearing out the prisons there by slaughtering everyone inside them. I mean, it's terrible, yeah. but I... I I don't believe that we can use the uh, we can use American military power to improve the situation for those people. We can only use American military power to promote American interests, yeah. which is overwhelmingly just selling weapons to whoever's going to buy them. Yeah. 
Yeah. So and I, I don't really like. Yeah, it's classic the, imperialism. Yeah. Trade guns for resources. Yeah, we'll give you high tech weapons for your oil. Right. Exactly. And when we like when we say that these are wars for profit, that's more or less. I mean, that's one aspect of what we're talking about. Is just yeah. it's a lot of money for people to make weapons and sell them. Of course. And you can double your money if you will sell weapons to both sides. Yeah. And that's what we've been doing in Syria. Yeah. I have seen some you know anarchists and Rojava supporters who I respect a lot saying basically you know the same argument that like u.s troops should not be anywhere at all uh you know especially syria but that yeah let's give you know the rojavan resistance the army whatever the ypg the heavy weapons that they don't have the anti-aircraft stuff that they don't have i can kind of get behind that i still am so skeptical of just any u.s and that is just u.s intervention there's nothing else to call it right yeah yeah uh, i think it's a really tough call on that front but i i don't i don't want more war there so yeah i think the the assad stuff you know uh like i i am not actually an assadist let me just say that minutes after i said it but uh <laughs> you know i i buy basically everything that she has said on the assad front should she have met with assad and shook his hand i don't i don't really know you know that's for you to decide i think it's bad enough that she's a congressperson you know and is part <laughs> of the war machine there right and like, like she's met with like trump and she's exactly been, like, yeah close to trump yeah exactly all yeah. these people right how many of these journalists have spoken to trump and not shot him you know yeah like that's what you do with monsters if you're going to get that close to them so whatever you know i'm as much an assadist as she is on some level but we can edit out the part where you (laughs) (laughs) call on everyone to try to kill trump i'm just saying i'm not i'm not telling people to shoot trump but if your position is i'm not going to interact with assad except in the sense of bombing the shit out of him and his army then like you should at least you know uh, uh, hold people to the same standards for any other you know not so dictator any other horrible uh, uh leader of a country out there so don't don't do it if you're not going to do that whatever uh, don't don't kill anyone. Don't kill anyone. The news never ends. Yeah. Doesn't kill anyone. Don't do crimes. Don't do crimes. No crimes. No crimes. Crimes are illegal. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing about crimes, they're illegal. Yeah. Uh, but so you know the Modi stuff. Put it on the back burner for me at least. Uh, let her respond to it. I do want to hear her question about it thoroughly. The Assad stuff. I think it's just an attack on her anti-interventionism, and I don't buy it. Uh, I don't think it was that bad. The worst of the dictators that she's a fan of, I think, and, you know, dictator, whatever, the worst head person that she's a fan of and has met with and said good things about, for me, is Sisi in Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that she went to Egypt, met with Sisi, and then immediately gave a speech where she said, Sisi's great, he does a great job killing terrorists. Right. That is the worst thing about her, and it basically encapsulates the worst things about her, which are that she's not anti-imperial. Right. She's not anti-war. She's not a dove in any sense. She's anti-regime change. And she's anti-American occupation. So she wants to – because basically she was this weirdo right-winger from Hawaii. Her dad had this weird religious fixation and uh, it seems like her whole family was these weirdo anti-gay vegan hippies. Uh, She came – she she signed up for war and she went to fight in Iraq and Kuwait. She served in Iraq and Kuwait and she saw what hell war is – for Americans. Every single day that I'm home, 
uh, I remember and carry with me the names and faces of my friends who did not come home. So it makes me very mad when I hear leaders in our country, people like Lindsey Graham and John McCain, people who are responsible for the sacrificing of thousands of American lives, trillions of American taxpayer dollars, uh, and who are now beating these war drums again, making the case that, look, if we just drop a few more bombs, if we just do a few more things militarily on the ground in Iraq, that somehow will achieve peace and stability there. Right. So she wants to pull the U.S. out of occupation. She wants to get the troops boots off the ground in Afghanistan and Syria and Iraq and everywhere in the world just so that they're out of the line of fire. But then she wants to outsource all of that colonial upkeep to local dictators. CC is the greatest example of them. And it's not like any major American politician, aside from maybe Bernie Sanders, like if that has a line that's different from this. It's just that they also support the forever war in every other facet. But she wants to basically outsource this uh, colonial upkeep to local dictators like Sisi and Assad and whoever is going to suppress the Muslim horde and uh, continue operating with drone strikes and SEAL Team 6 and tactical strikes and assassinations. And recognizing that the vast majority of terrorist attacks conducted around the world for over the last decade have been conducted by groups who are fueled by this radical Islamic ideology, then once that's identified, we understand it, then we can come up with a winning strategy to defeat it, both militarily as well as ideologically, which is why I felt it was important to go, to go and listen to the prime minister of a country that has been uh, an ally and a friend of the United States, this only democracy in the middle of the Middle East. Do you believe that Iran wants a nuclear weapon uh, no matter what? Yes. Back in 1938, when uh, Hitler said signed an agreement with uh, Neville Ch Chamberlain saying that he wasn't going to uh, get any causing more trouble in Europe, a year later he rips it up and says it's a piece of paper. I mean, all these agreements, you know, and you know, all these agreements are they look good when you sign them, but it's enforcement and who keeps them? Right. And I think for me, coming from the state of Hawaii, I look to the agreement that happened with North Korea. Uh, and see how well that's gone. These military advisors will be supporting and propping up the Maliki-led Shia government that is really a puppet for Iran, and that puts us at a greater national security risk by supporting this, this terrorist uh, country that Iran is. We need to look at conducting uh, unconventional, strategic, precise operations to take out these terrorists wherever they are. So that these people can continue just dropping into Yemen and killing dozens of civilians at a time and going home and beating their wives and getting drunk. That's the kind of people she wants to protect. So I am not a fan of her war policy. I think it's kind of sick. I like I had the same response that I saw Rania Falek and a bunch of these, you know, pseudo Assadists have on Twitter after she announced, which was to say what you want about her. I don't agree with her on some things and I really don't agree with her on other stuff, but I'm excited to see her in the debates because she'll give us a chance to really talk about how the U.S. military is killing the world and she'll have a different perspective on how foreign policy policy should be done. It'll open a lot of questions. I I had that reaction, and honestly, I think it's just a perfect example of why having a president is a bad thing, and why just getting involved in empire at any level, even the discursive level, corrupts and just makes you a worse person and makes you start playing these imperial games where you say, okay, well, if she's bad for the, the Turks, then maybe uh, she's good for the Kurds, and if she's bad for the Muslims in India, well, at least she'll, you know, protect the the majority in Egypt it only ends in this kind of chess game with 
tribes and ethnicities that you have cordoned off in the world by selling them their own barbed wire and uh, sarin gas and it's just like it's a disgusting business we're in and it makes me so not excited for the debates yeah yeah i i agree with all that i don't really know why tulsi gabbard's running and right, I think you made a very important point. She's not, she is not an anti-imperialist in any meaningful way, even if she is not, even if she breaks with the imperialist orthodoxy. Yeah. Yeah. You can be an imperialist heretic and still be an imperialist. Her Twitter bio is soldier, veteran, surfer, member of Congress. And those are her priorities, basically, in order. <laughs> what it makes me think about is Elizabeth Warren, where fundamentally she wants to rein in the worst excesses of capitalism so that capitalism can continue to be broadly acceptable yeah for people yeah she's not elizabeth warren is not anti-capitalist she every time she speaks she says she's a capitalist to her bones to her bones repeating that what she believes is that if we need to make laws to rein in the worst excesses of capitalism so that we can preserve capitalism. Yeah. Uh, and it's that it seems similar to me with Tulsi Gabbard, where she wants to rein in the worst excesses of American imperialism, constant regime change, permanent occupations, so that in order to preserve American empire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To keep America the unipolar power. Right. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think... The Hindu phobia aspect is really interesting and we'll deal with a lot of that if she continues to run. I thought Alex Rubenstein made a really interesting point when, you know, when it was partly just uh, doing press for his article in Mint Press that he's now writing for. But he said, you know, like the Intercept publishes these articles on Tulsi Gabbard that are like Tulsi Gabbard is a progressive icon, despite the fact that she has all these ties to Hindu nationalists. And they never run articles on Elizabeth Warren saying Elizabeth Warren is a progressive darling, even though she loves Israeli. Right, exactly. And, you know, that can be said of basically any of these other people who are running is that they make friends with some of the worst people in the world. And uh, yeah, they will be called to account. All right, should we move on? Yeah, totally. Uh, What's fun stuff? uh, The latest Laura Loomer stuff. Oh my god, that was awesome. I don't even know what this is. Laura Loomer tricks undocumented men for her latest stunt. This is from the Daily Beast. It's an article by Will Summer, who does some of the best reporting on Laura Loomer. Yes. And the weird, uh, extremely online right wing. Laura, pro-Trump provocateur, which I guess is what she has to be called now because she doesn't have a job. (laughs) Uh, Laura Loomer. Thanks to Twitter. Yeah. Grabbed a few more headlines Monday by hopping the fence at Nancy Pelosi's Napa Valley estate in an attempt to make the point that the House Speaker opposes the Mexican border wall while also owning a wall. Yeah, I don't even <laughs> on to how this is like the biggest. Uh, even Trump was tweeting yes. about it with Obama, like, "Oh, but you have a wall <laughs> in your house." <laughs> Uh, owned. Unlike when Loomer chained herself to Twitter's New York headquarters to get her account back, uh, though this Loomer stunt had a cruel twist. While trespassing on Pelosi's property, Loomer tricked three men she described as undocumented immigrants into joining her, setting them up for an inevitable confrontation with police. Loomer tells the Daily Beast that she found the men in a Home Depot parking lot and convinced them to come set up the tent on Pelosi's property. It is not clear 
whether the men knew that they were being duped into committing crimes at a home owned by one of the most powerful lawmakers in America. They certainly didn't seem to know what was going on during live streams of the event, and they later required a Spanish translator to understand what the cops were telling them. When the police arrived, they mostly ignored Loomer and her rants about the border wall. Instead, they focused on the three men who weren't able to provide any identification, according to live stream footage from Loomer's friends. Jesus Christ. Before taking the men aside, one sheriff's deputy told Loomer she'd put the men in a tough spot by setting them up for an enforcement for an encounter with law enforcement throughout it all loomer and her cohort cohort which included charlottesville unit unite sorry included charlottesville unite the right marcher antonio foreman made condescending and often racist quips about the men loomer ordered them up to pelosi's house with shouts of vominos and one of her friends asked whether a taco truck would be joining them Uh, Fortunately for the men, the Napa County Sheriff's Office decided to let them go. After a Pelosi representative declined to press charges against the group, the men were released without fines, according to a spokesman for the Napa Sheriff. But yeah, just really disgusting stuff. Yeah, she is such slime. Do you remember when she put a burqa on the fearless girl? <laughs> no, I did yes. not know she did. I that. cannot believe people don't bring this up. <laughs> and also, time. when they, it took me a second to remember what Fearless Girl was. Yeah. So, do you want to explain it? Well, Fearless Girl. So, <laughs> another scam of scams of yeah. scams. <laughs> There's that big bull statue in Wall Street that represents the bull market. Yeah. And it's this huge mask symbol. And so, some hedge fund or something we got to look up the specifics of this because it's such a nuts story but somebody uh some some uh like wall streeters paid for the installation of this fearless girl statue that's this little girl with her hands on her hips uh facing down the bowl and it was like at, at the beginning of the me too era or something and it was part of this like women in wall street won't be silenced and then it turned out the firm that sponsored the statue and paid for its installation has a massive sexual harassment problem and was like in the middle of a suit while they put up that statue and it was just propaganda for them but of course the fearless girl took off and it became yeah. a hashtag resistance and right favorite. and it was only supposed to be a temporary thing right, right. and, and then they were permanent. like now it's permanent yeah so it's going to be hillary <laughs> Clinton fearless girl 2020 is going to be the ticket uh yeah and Laura Loomer came I mean you you <laughs> the video is great we're in New York City and Wall Street where the infamous fearless girl statue is and it's March against Sharia today so we're gonna go show fearless girl what it means to meet Sharia because there's no such thing as an Islamic uh, she's and it, you know the only people who really covered it are the far right basically but they did this video where Laura Loomer has a make America great again hat and uh, she's got a sign that says there is no such thing as an Islamic feminist and she's trying to put a burqa on the fearless girl statue march against Sharia there's no such thing as an Islamic to raise awareness for Sharia or whatever. And people get so mad at her, obviously. They're like, stop doing that. And she's like, oh, but you want real little girls to be put in these bags. Yeah. And it's like, shh. Yeah. Why don't you put that on yourself? Raise the margin Sharia. Don't you have any respect for all of the oppression women face under Sharia law? Hey, take a picture, guys. Take a picture. Enjoy this beautiful thing. Jesus Christ. Well, I also remember, so Laura Loomer famously got banned permanently from Twitter 
for, you know, being a horrible Islamophobe. Yeah. What people don't remember necessarily is that she also got permanently banned from Uber and Lyft. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Because one of the things she tweeted about was how much she hates when she orders a Lyft and she gets picked up by a Muslim driver. Right. So they both permanently banned her. So yeah, she can't even get an Uber. (laughs) Yeah, let's wrap it up. I do want to say, I want to send out a News Never Ends special audio get well card for a friend of the show who is not doing so hot and has had to leave the country, actually. Do you know who I'm talking about? No. Our old boy, Rand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, I saw this. Do you, uh, you, you're probably aware that this is like a talking point for anti single payer healthcare people that no one ever travels to Canada to get healthcare. Right. Yeah. That people come to America because the healthcare here yeah. is the best. Which just object, I mean, just as a matter of fact, is not the case. Right. <laughs> <laughs> many, many people travel to Canada every year for healthcare. Yeah. If they, not right. to get pills so they can smuggle them across the border yeah, because exactly. they're so much cheaper there. Uh, right. So, yeah, Rand Paul. Is uh is is fleeing the country fleeing to Canada because we have such horrible healthcare here. Yeah, because apparently, right, this is he's going to a hospital in Canada that is like known for being the best or one of the best hospitals in the world for hernia surgeries. Yeah, uh, and that's what he's getting. Yeah, but yeah, there right there is a little extra nice uh, cherry on top that he's going to a country that has single payer healthcare. Yeah, and I think he's tried to make the argument that he, because he's paying cash as a right, foreigner, exactly. it is capitalism. But the place he's going to gets subsidies from the government, right. and you can use government healthcare there. They accept it. it it's right. not true that he said, like he says that, you know, it's only for rich foreigners that they operate. Yeah, no. Um, and it's and it's a hernia that's related to the injuries he sustained in his blood <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in his uh, uh, in his fight with the Hatfields, yeah, uh, he got this hernia as a, a byproduct. So, for well, the, yeah, for the good of the bloodline and uh, to stick it to the uh, those damn Hatfields, I, I hope he recovers soon and can be back on the front lines. Yeah, get uh, well soon, Rand. We need you. They take one of our spines, we take two of theirs. So. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep your lawn manicured for you while you're gone. <laughs> cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's been real. It's been tight. Can't wait to see you next week. We got a lot lined up for you uh yeah see ya and if you are not already a patreon subscriber getting our extra bonus content you will want to hop on for this week because we have a really fun conversation coming up honestly i think i am fascinated by it yeah it's uh it's tucker carlson critique of capital slava zizek tucker carlson um yeah this this week the episode was all about right-wing lefties this is going to be all about left-wing right yeah i i'm fascinated by it and and it's a great conversation so please join the galaxy brain club and we'll see you over in uh the overtime see you guys bye